everyone! I'm Alyssa Trong, and this is the Palette of Possibilities podcast. I started POP to embrace diversity and explore new things. We aim to spread awareness of hidden topics and dive deep past the surface into the details we might not think about often. I'm a teen, student, and an aspiring entrepreneur, but we welcome anyone to listen in on the casual conversations about life, journeys, and meaningful stories with me or a new guest. If you resonate with any of our episodes, Pop would love it if you continue to share and support. Now let's explore the wonders of what curiosity can do. So what's today's topic going to be about? Well, we're going to try something a little bit different and we're basically going to explore the life of a chef and not just any chef but a private chef and her name is chef lindsay i basically met her through wit whatever it takes or wit and i'll put that in the description but i just saw i went to one of her classes and she was so inspiring i've learned a lot from her and basically she's been in the industry for more than 10 years she's hardworking, and you know she she goes for the healthy options when she's cooking and so my favorite dish pesto pasta was the first class that i had with her and she taught us how to make it but instead of using like basil or pine nuts which are the usual ingredients in making pesto sauce she was like oh you can substitute uh, walnuts and kale and spinach and so like just thinking outside of the box was something that she's always amazing at and so I always just love hanging out with her she's so energetic and I'm so glad that she could join us today but yeah so when I was younger I was always interested in so many different possibilities of what I could be in the future and I went from wanting to be a singer to a teacher and eventually a chef so when I met chef Lindsay it made me so excited just to learn from her and ask about everything going on and what her life is like. And so in today's episode, we're going to ask about just like what goes on. So from the obstacles that she faces to just advice um, for people who want to go into the food industry, there's just so much to learn and she has a lot to share. So uh, besides that, we do have a little favorite quote that she has that I'll include in the description uh, that you can check out as well as just more advice for everyone. Hi, Chef Lindsay. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Alyssa. I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy that you could um, come over and talk to us all about you and then the food industry. But first off, I did want to say congratulations on getting married earlier this year. It must have been so exciting. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And there was actually, you know, we can talk about later, um, Mm -hmm. like some food elements I added to my wedding that you might find really interesting. Of course. I'd love to talk about that. (laughs) okay so get ready for a lot of questions coming because I'm so curious and I bet a bunch of people are curious about what you do and who you are but before that we're gonna just get into some icebreaker questions not related to anything so first first (laughs) do you prefer writing in pen or pencil 
Hmm, that is a good question. I mean, is typing an option? Because I don't think you want to see my handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I've never heard that before. Do you, do you type really fast, like uh, certain words per minute? Um, I don't know how many words per minute, but I do type pretty fast. I would say a lot of the menus and things that I do are typed up, but I do have to write. It's just like, if I was to give you the notebooks that I use for work with recipes, you would be very confused because it might look like scribble. My handwriting is somewhere between like, it, it, it's kind of cursive, but kind of not. So no it can be a little hard to read. <laughs> Mine too. The way that everything is fast paced, you for sure have to write as fast as you can and might not turn out all the best ways but it's okay yeah right <laughs> um, okay next question is what's the first song you'd sing karaoke to with the group of friends hmm good question um you know what my husband's in the background actually mm -hmm. watching tv greg what do you think would be a good karaoke song with a with a bunch of friends <laughs> Alicia Keys, you think I would do no one? Mm -hmm. Or no, I'd probably do If I Ain't Got You by Alicia Keys. That's usually like my go-to karaoke song. Yeah, I love like the beats behind it. It's so fun to sing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good karaoke song. I mean, if I was with my friend Susan, she would say that song by Michelle Branch is usually our go-to, the one that's like, I wanted to be like you. I forgot how that, do you know the name of that song? No. <laughs> But you know, it just made you know. I just felt really old because I realized Michelle Branch is like not even your time, right? Well, I say no, Alicia Keys. It's okay. Alicia Keys, she's classic. She's always I, you know, everyone's always gonna love her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next question: If you had a home makeover, like a hair makeover, right now, what what look would you go for? Huh. I guess I would like try to cover up my massive forehead. So like whatever. <laughs> I could do with that. Mm -hmm. um, I would trust the hairdresser of probably mm -hmm. any of the Kardashians because she's been able to do wonders. So, mm -hmm. you know, whatever she does to them, she wants yeah. to do that to my hair. I'd love that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then here's a fun question. Would you be a witch or fairy? And whatever you choose, what would your specialty or like your main power be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so there's a part of me that wants to say fairy, mm -hmm. but I feel like witches are really misunderstood. And yeah. if I was like Sabrina, the teenage witch, I would totally yeah. go for that. Mm -hmm. Right. She has a lot of different cool powers. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say the power that I'd want the most. Okay, you know what? There was like an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch where she was like able to make like any food she wanted just come out of thin air. I was so excited about that episode when I was younger. I was like, if I could do that, I could like end world hunger and I could have like any meal in front of me at any moment, you know, thought that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> wow. Now that I think about it, I feel like witches have much more, like have more abilities than fairies do because fairies- a little more specialized. I might be a fairy because I like flying. <laughs> you can fly as a witch too, right? You just gotta get a broom. <laughs> that's, that's true. Maybe I'll have to rethink my choices. <laughs> okay. okay, fairy's a good choice too. Mm -hmm. Now, here's like a really interesting question that my friend asked me the other day. So if all the grass in the world could be replaced with anything, what would it be? Or what would you choose? Oh, wow. Um, 
all of the grass uh I guess man I don't know if I have a good answer to that right <laughs> you know what actually I know I keep tying things back to food but yeah, I would say like Something I've always thought about is that like a lot of the greenery that we put around, right, is inedible, right? We have so much opportunity to put edible plants around. So like that space that we're using for grass, if we could use like wheat grass or something like something that can be eaten, something that can be used for nourishment, like grass is usually all aesthetic. While Mm -hmm. if we could replace that land that we use for just aesthetic things with things that we can eat, it would also help the world, I think, for the greater good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your answers are so thoughtful. <laughs> My friend just answered some, he would, he answered water that doesn't, or ice that doesn't melt so that you can walk on water. It's a little of a strange answer, but something soft yeah. that, yeah. But then you could go ice skating all the time and that would be really fun, right? That's true. That's true. And I guess when it melts, you can drink it too. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, we need more drinkable water, too, so. Okay, now, getting into the topic about all about food. First off, we're going into... Even though I somehow found a way to talk about food, even though you were just asking. (laughs) So, now, the first question is, like, when did you start cooking? And this could be, like, when you were a kid, not professionally. Um, so, it's actually really funny how I got into cooking, because... When I went to culinary school, a lot of the kids were like, oh my gosh, ever since I was younger, I wanted to be a chef. I was making these elaborate meals. Mm-hmm. For me, I started off maybe around like seven, eight years old. And I would just make simple things like deviled eggs. Like, uh-huh. and my mom, she loved to cook, but she would cook like your just typical stuff. Like it was like, chicken, rice, a vegetable, mm-hmm. most nights. So mm-hmm. if I was to make anything different, it was like a really big deal for my family. So like if I made deviled eggs or cookies or something really simple for mm-hmm. my family, they would get really, really excited about it. Yeah. And I loved that. So mm-hmm. eventually as I got older, like that is what ended, ended up like pushing me in the direction of becoming a chef because I really loved how excited they would get about getting these different foods. Yeah. It really balances out the complexity of the normal dishes. And I also remember when I was the younger kid, like every time I cooked something, whether it be like coconut macaroons or like this eggplant dish, all my par- um my family members would hype me up and get me excited too. And they'd be like, I mean, your stuff has been great though. Like I see the stuff you post online. I'm like, oh my gosh, like if I was cooking that at 16, oh my goodness. <laughs> we all started different times. <laughs> I remember around the same age as you though, when I was eight, I started cooking or not even really cooking. The first thing I started making was smoothies. That's how I started. And that's, that's really healthy. That's a good, that's a good simple thing to like transition into cooking with. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Okay. <laughs> so now just for like anyone who's watching or listening, um, just to get an idea of like the lineup. So you go from a line cook all the way to a, a certain kind of chef, like Chef Lindsay, could you tell us like, what's the order of how you build up? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so for a lot of people, how it typically works 
I would say the majority, not everybody, the majority is it's that you go to culinary school, you get a form of culinary arts degree. You can do six months, you can do four years. Like there's so many different programs. Um, and then you start off typically in garde-magee or a line cook position. A lot of the times they'll start you off in garde-magee, which is like, which is like cold appetizers. Um, honestly, just appetizers in general. Like when you go to a restaurant, like your starting course, your first course, and then they'll transition you to line cook. And then from there, there's potential to be sous chef. I think there's also somewhere in between there's like lead line cook. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think some restaurants that will go like garde-magee, line cook, lead line cook, and then potentially sous chef, mm-hmm. and then like way in the future, head chef. So mm-hmm. that's a lot of the time how it goes. However, I have seen mm-hmm. a lot of people who do not have a culinary arts degree, who actually start off in garde-magee or training like prep chef. Prep chef is actually what a lot of some people start off as. That's another one I forgot to mention. Mm-hmm. And then from there, as seeing how the restaurant runs, they go prep chef, garde-magee, line cook, sous chef, and then potentially head chef in the future. Yeah. So there's like a lot of work that goes into it to get to that next level, which we'll be yeah. talking about very soon. So I, I was also wondering, I was looking into like specializations of like prep chefs, which you are. And um, on your website, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, and so on, you talk about like you cook natural and fresh food, and it's from farm to table cuisine. So, is this a specialization, or what does it mean to specialize? Um, that is, you know, specialization. It's hard to say because, especially as a private chef, I might have my specialty be farm to table cuisine or like vegetarian or, you know, a lot of different other types of cuisine, but then I will work for a client who has a certain type of food preference and I will kind of have to adapt to that and kind of redo what my specialty is. However, I have come across a lot of private chefs that are like, I will only cook Mediterranean food. I will only cook Michelin star fine dining cuisine. You know, they are very set in what they make and it's not about adapting to their client as it is their client wanting a certain type of food that they have to offer. Okay. Um, And then I guess this really widens like the audience that you're catering towards (laughs) for sure. Yeah. What, like who makes up most of your clients? Like, are they mostly adults? Are they mostly kids who want to have cooking classes? Like, is there a trend? Um, Most of my clients are just like very wealthy, influential people, Mm -hmm. Um, mostly I wouldn't say mostly adults because usually it's families. I usually really like to work for families. So it's like, there might be two parents, but they might have, you know, eight kids. So, (laughs) um, and with that, you know, it's, so it, it like, it might be that I was hired by the parents, but I'm cooking and catering a lot to the kids as well. So. Okay. Nice to know. <laughs> and then <laughs> next up, we'll be going into like pursuing the career in the food industry. And this is like such an important topic just because there's so much work and time and exhaustion that goes into succeeding. And like many say, as you said earlier, they want to be a chef. They want to start a restaurant. And I even said that when I was younger. So I'm, there's so much more to it. And that's what we're learning today. So like, 
tell us about your story. Like, how did you personally work yourself up to where you are right now? Oh man, I mean, how long is this uh, Zoom call gonna go? Because <laughs> you can this whatever you want. <laughs> no, I'll definitely abbreviate it for you. Don't worry. Um, well, I mean, like I said, I really, really liked cooking for my family when I was a kid. Um, you know, I didn't actually know right away, as I kind of said before, that like I wanted to be a chef as, you know, some people do really early on. I just really knew that I liked doing something that catered to people that made people happy. You know, I bounced around a lot of different ideas. Like when I was a senior, actually, when did I apply for culinary school? When I was a junior, right? Apply in junior year. When I, when I was a junior, I was really between actually being a teacher and being a chef. Actually, it's really funny, right? Because I teach cooking classes as well. So I got like a little bit of best of both worlds. Um, and I was really on the fence about it. I looked at a couple colleges uh, to go into teaching. And then I went to the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. And I did a tour of the school. And I just felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. The environment, I just felt like it really meshed well with my creativity and what I ultimately want. And um, so I ended up going to the CIA in 2011. And I, I really, really loved it. It was a really crazy experience for me because I think I was a little thrown off by the industry and mm -hmm. the expectations. Um, it was, you know, I struggled definitely a lot in the beginning. It was not an easy, you know, an easy ride, but I learned so much from it. And um, I graduated in 2013, like early 2013, I think, mm -hmm. or late 2012. So I did like a one and a half, two year program. Mm -hmm. Got it. And um, I immediately started working at this really nice fine dining restaurant. Oh, actually something I forgot to mention is before I did that, mm -hmm. I had to extern. Like before I went to culinary school, I did have to extern at this Italian restaurant and I learned a lot of the basics there. It was really, really fun. Um, really, again, like I was a little thrown off though about all the expectations that come along with working in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And then anyway, fast forward to when I graduated, I was working at this fine dining restaurant and I really, really liked it. Um, and then I worked at another fine dining restaurant. I really, really liked it. But ultimately I realized, like you were saying, like with that tears of like growth and getting right. to the top to become that head chef, it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. And there is like a, like a personality type. Like you need to be a little bit of a sharp, right? Like you need to be able, you need to be really forceful. You need to be able to make yourself known when you go into a room. You need to have that kind of personality if you want to get up to the top in a restaurant. And though when I walk into a room, I like to make myself known. I also think I'm a little shy, even though like some people might not think that about me. I definitely am a little shy and I don't think I walk into your room and I'm immediately like, this is what everybody has to do. You know, I know what I have to do. And that's kind of where I was like, maybe I should look into other options. So I went back to school for applied food studies, which was this program. So I went back to the CIA. It was this new program. I was the first in the first class. And I, I learned about everything that goes around cooking other than cooking itself, right? Like food politics, uh, anthropology of food, food writing, like you name it, this yeah. program had it. And it was 
fascinating. And I thought to myself, I was like, you know, I want to make a difference in the food industry. Like I want to work for a specific type of program that's going to help that, you know, help the food movement. You know, there's, there's so many different, different types of food movements right now. Like there's like the slow food movement, which is all about like Mm -hmm. sustainability and like trying to get us to slow down with the way that the food industry is going. I mean, that again, is like a whole separate podcast, but (laughs) I, I, I was really ready to do that. And then I applied for a lot of different jobs and there was one private chef position. I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll try it out. You know, I'll check it out. So I, I, I worked at this organization and I, I went to the interview and I was like, you know what, this could be a really good transition. This might be just something as time passes to give me more experience in the food industry. And I realized that like, wow, like as a private chef, I have so much power. Like I went from, you know, kind of being a little bit on the lower end in the restaurant because I was younger, because I was still starting to being like well-respected, all my ideas, my creativity was being acknowledged. Like I felt like I had this power and it felt amazing. And through that, I ended up um, connecting with a cousin of mine who works for more influential people. Like she works for actors, actresses, like celebrities, and she works as a nanny. So she kind of has some, um, she's like in the private sector, I guess I like to call it right. Like the private staffing industry. Mm -hmm. So she got me more in with like more influential people who were looking for a more like higher end experience than what I was offering in that organization. And I was working for this one family and I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do. Something Mm -hmm. like this, like I loved it. Like I, I was right in it with the family. Like I was talking to the wife. She was, her and I were talking about like nutrition and, mm-hmm. and things about like the slow food movement and different food movements to try to make our food industry better. And she was always interested in the ideas that I had and her and her husband were always so excited. Like, I just loved it. Like for me, it was about the people, right? Like I said yeah. in the beginning, like I loved that I was able to connect with them. I wasn't just some person behind the scenes that nobody saw making the same kind of meal every single day. You know, it was every single day making something different, taking into their their food preferences and dietary needs um, into consideration mm-hmm. every single day. And it was, it was, it was so much fun. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of like where it built. Like I just started working for more families. I got into the cooking classes and yeah. I loved it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you for all of that. Oh my like I said, I mean, trust me, that could have been, I could have went on with it. could have gone on it forever. <laughs> I, I definitely, that's what I love about like private sector and like just like specializing in something specific with all that personalization. And like, that's also what I wanted to go into the medical field. So I used to want to like make a cookbook. And this is kind of how I met Chef Lindsay because I was so into cooking. And then I went and I tried to figure out some things with business. And now with like the medical field, I'm also looking into like specializing because you just have exactly like that much time with your clients and like all that, like working with the people. And that's just the funnest part of it all. Yeah. yeah. What, what part of the medical industry are you interested in right now? Um, right now I wanted to, I want to become a psychiatrist. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Really? I love that. <laughs> that is so needed right now. <laughs> so needed. 
especially after the pandemic, there's there's a lot of things coming up, and it'd be great to have all that support for everyone who is looking for it. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, I really, I really love that. I mean, that mm-hmm. is something that we need so yeah. much. There's definitely not enough psychiatrists right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now going back to like what your journey. Okay, so how did you like? When you were figuring out that you did want to pursue becoming a head chef, like what were the reactions from your family members and your friends? Like, were they very supportive? Were they kind of like skeptical? Um, honestly, everyone was really supportive. I think everyone was really excited about it because like a lot of my friends and family were going into very similar fields. A lot of my family went into teaching and, um, I mean like my, my sisters and, you know, other, other family members have been teachers and Mm -hmm. it is an amazing profession, but I guess like when everybody's doing the same thing, it's like, eventually it's like, okay, like, you know, some of the conversations end up being a little bit more similar. And then it's like, here I was coming back from work being like, oh my gosh, I was at work and I thought I was going to be cooking for two people and ended up being 15 people. So I was running here and I ran to the store, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a lot more interesting of stories when it's something a little bit different. (laughs) Okay. And then like you, you were thinking about going into teaching, but you were also thinking about like becoming a chef. So like, when you were doing this, um, did you try to pursue like classes in teaching while you were also in the cooking school or just purely cooking school? I mean, I just went all in, like I put all my energy Mm -hmm. into culinary school. And then I thought, you know, worst case scenario, since it is, you know, a shorter program, Mm -hmm. if I don't like it, I could always just go back to school for teaching, you know, because it's like, it, it's not like it was four years of school. It was, you know, a little less than two years. So, you know, you have that little extra buffer room to go back to school. I mean, as you always have buffer room to go back to school, like I felt better about going back to school if I needed to. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then for like anyone who is interested in applying um, for first of all, starting from the bottom and then they know that they're going to have to work up, like what is work advice or like advice for applying for their first job if you have for you working in a restaurant is that what you're asking yeah um I would say I would say two things like one thing is before you decide to apply for a restaurant make sure you have a very specific type of personality like make sure you are ready to not have a nine-to-five schedule to not have a consistent schedule, to miss holidays, to, but that you are going to be in a really like exciting, fast paced environment that is different and unique and fun. And if you're and that, like a lot of your friends are going to be the people in that restaurant because it's, you know, it's like a, it's like a family that you're going mm-hmm. into. And if you want that, the next step I would say is also when you do apply make sure to show that you're someone who's very passionate about what you do. You're very determined to learn, you know, you have a lot of knowledge, but you know, that like the food industry is constantly changing. It's like, it's, it's just constantly changing. It's constantly growing. There's so many new food fads and that, you know, if you're someone who goes into it and you're like, I learned how to do this and this is how we do it. You know, it's, it's, 
eventually you will hit a wall as that is honestly with any career. I mean, Mm -hmm. anyone would say anything you go into is constantly changing. So it's important to constantly be educating yourself on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then let's talk about educating yourself. (laughs) Like um, for when you were learning or like even now, like, do you still look to improve? Like you like, find and ask for feedback from other chefs or from family members or like do you even take classes though like how do you keep updated in all this oh yeah definitely I mean I'm constantly doing research online mm-hmm. I have a thousand cookbooks that I like skim through to get ideas mm-hmm. um you know I'm, I'm looking up food fads I actually a lot of the time when I'm making menus for clients I'll start off looking like what is like the fad of the moment, because like a lot of the times it's like people are thinking about that in the back of their head. It's like, they don't even know that they want that, but like they, they've been hearing about it and they're hoping that I'm going to present something like it eventually. So I I just try to keep up with that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) They just have so much trust in you. They're excited for what you have to share with them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So like, I guess going into the same idea, you looked at a bunch of cookbooks. Do you also like look at like cooking shows or like videos that maybe you that are food related that you recommend other people watching? Um, shows mm-hmm. like cooking shows. Uh, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me when I say this. I so I, first of all, I don't actually watch a lot of cooking shows. Mm-hmm. I there's some that I've really enjoyed. I actually really liked Chopped for a while, but eventually it's like I'm, I'm all I'm around that stuff all day long. Sometimes I think it stresses me out to watch Chopped because I'm yeah. like, she should have used that spice, you know. <laughs> um, but I mean, I I, I will say this mm-hmm. is so funny. This I I'm just like laughing at myself as I'm saying. There's actually a kids show that uh-huh. recently came out that I've been really excited about introducing my um, nieces and nephew to, yeah. and like some of my friends' kids. It's called Waffles and Mochi. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I've watched it. I've watched the first couple episodes. It's so cute. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that, and I really recommend that mm-hmm. to kids and even yeah. maybe like your age to kind of. Mm-hmm watch a little bit of because even though it's directed towards kids it has a lot of really important information that I feel like is really beneficial to anyone who wants to go into the food industry and get into food in general and it's like you know they break it down for a little kid so it's really watchable and fun like it's just like a really mindless yet really educational program mm-hmm. That is where I learned about like uses of salt, and it also teaches about culture, like gazpacho. So that would be yes, like- it's so <laughs> cute. I love it. <laughs> okay, I guess if I said like there's like something food related that I have been reading, it's actually part of my English class, and it's called Crying in H Mart, and like it talks about so the author is Michelle Zahner, and she talks about food being like an emotional experience and like it's like a part of finding yourself or like your home identifying and like claiming your culture so like for you like do you eat emotionally or is it like (laughs) um well I mean I could sometimes be a stress eater but (laughs) I'm just kidding um yes I do that 100 percent I agree with that so much. I think 
food has a lot to do with your connection with your culture, with your family. There, like that is an amazing point. And that's a lot of the reason that I went into the food industry. I think it's a really good way to, I mean, I guess, yeah, to tap into your emotions, to connect with other people. Uh, actually, on a side note, something I ask people sometimes, like, at work or even sometimes at a party it's like a really fun question that I have for you is what is something really weird that you like to eat or that other people might think it's weird Mm -hmm. somebody might think it's kind of weird but you really enjoy eating and then why and the reason I ask that is because for me, I've realized that emotional eating has a lot to do with ties, with family, and again, with your culture. And sometimes it's not always something, you know, that you would think, you know, it's not always like the roast that your grandma would make or the pancakes that your mom might've made. Like sometimes it's something really funky. And for me, even with all my years in the food industry, my mom, when I would come home from school and I was really hungry and she was working, she would cook some pasta that she would sometimes overcook a little bit Mm -hmm. and she would mix it with just some tuna fish and mayo. Mm -hmm. And I actually, to this day, love it. Still enjoy that because I, every time I eat it, it makes me think of like when I was a kid and, you know, seeing my mom and all that, those feelings of being home from school. And it's like, I get, I get that feeling. And so now I want to ask you, is there something that you can think of like that? Hmm, I guess three things. Okay. Okay. I learned learned to cook like goldfish turkey meatballs. And some people that's interesting because we don't like mix a bunch of random cracker snacks into um, whatever like meatballs or burgers we're making. And so I, the last time I cooked that was actually like last week for my dad, but before that. I love, that's a perfect example. That is actually like an absolute perfect example. I love that. And then like was, um, other people sometimes kind of strange, but I have steamed broccoli and then we, my family, we dip it into mayonnaise. And a lot of people, like when I tell my friends, they're like, isn't it supposed to be ranch? Why is it? mayo so yeah I guess it just like passed down my family so my grandma taught my mom to eat it like that and that's naturally how I grew up and so I don't eat steamed broccoli without mayo I love that no I really oh you know what actually with that Hmm. even though I you know have learned how to make different sauces I still find it to be really nice to just like if I have a piece of like chicken, like even just like some poached or roasted chicken to sometimes dip it into a little bit of mayonnaise. Like I do find it comforting. I mean, I'll spice it up and put it in an aioli, but let's be honest, aioli is just basically like mayo with glitter on it. (laughs) (laughs) I realized I haven't eaten aioli in so long. The last time I ate it was with artichoke and that was like the last family gathering, which is long before the pandemic. But I know, I know it's it's in rough. Okay. So now we're getting into like the job, like everything that you're doing right now. First of all, like what's the work schedule look like? Because earlier you mentioned you got to be ready to get out of your comfort zone and expect that it's not going to be from nine to five. So, yeah. Um, so a lot of the jobs that I work 
I would say it's, it's really dependent on the client. Um, a lot of the time, again, like every week can look different for some clients. It's, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sometimes it's Monday through Friday. And then a lot of the time people don't typically need breakfast. I would say most of my clients don't need breakfast because a lot of the time we'll have another staff member who Mm -hmm. will make, you know, something that needs to be made fresh, like eggs, pancakes, waffles. A lot of the times that stuff will be made by another staff member early in the morning so that I can put my focus into lunch and dinner or just dinner and making sure, you know, I'm going to the market or going to the farmer's market that I'm like making sure orders are coming in. If it's like a larger amount of people and there's like meat that needs to come in or certain, certain goods that need to come in, I need to make sure I'm receiving them. And to give me that extra time, I typically don't need to focus on breakfast. However, I do do brunch sometimes. I do do brunch. <laughs> Um, and I guess like my schedule, like during the year where it's lighter is usually, I would guess like on average about like 12 to 10. And then, um, during the summer, it can be from like 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. Like it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it can be a lot more hectic then. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really depends. And then with holidays, again, it really depends on the client. Like I've, you know, I've done, I've done holiday dinners. Um, and then I've had certain clients where they've been like, no, it's okay. Like we have it covered. You can go celebrate with your family. And I guess like, that's again, like in the private sector. Now, if you're talking about when you're working in a restaurant, a lot of the times those holidays, you need to be ready to work, especially for like the nicer restaurants, because they're going to be doing tasting menus. They're going to be doing events, especially for like new year's, like forget about new year's. You'll never, (laughs) like, I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but like when you're working in a restaurant, like never expect that you'll spend like new year's Eve, new year's Eve with your family, because that one is very, very popular for restaurants Mm -hmm. to do events and tasting menus for because you know it is an a fun exciting time to have an event going on Mm -hmm. so if you want to like celebrate all of these like holidays do you celebrate with your family early or do you just end up having to celebrate later um I'll celebrate sometimes later and sometimes I just miss it you know I call them later on and yeah but I have been able to like work around that and mm-hmm. like the clients that I have right now they typically have another chef who's been doing a lot of the big holidays yeah. so totally fine with that yeah. <laughs> with being so busy like how does it affect your sleep schedule I'm wondering <laughs> um so when I'm working like mm-hmm. in the summer yeah like, sleep is almost non-existent during the year mm-hmm. uh I I can usually find some kind of a system to it. I guess like what's really bad is my eating schedule because of that. Mm -hmm. Not as much my sleeping schedule because, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, some chefs, like they'll get home at 10 Mm -hmm. and then they'll stay up until 2 a.m., sleep late. And then, you know, and then their day goes on. They're kind of a little bit more of like night owls. I did that years ago and that worked horribly for me. You know, I, especially during this time of year, like I got no sunlight at all. Cause I was like in the restaurant whenever it, 
you know, whenever it was light out and then I'd get out when it was dark and it was just like, it's constant cycle of just never seeing daylight. So what I try to do is I will, if I haven't eaten dinner, I eat and then I go right to bed, which as you know, is not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to give yourself time to digest. Mm -hmm. That's something that I've definitely been working on is like trying to take time during the day. Like if I, when I serve food to my clients to make sure like I step aside, take a deep breath, eat for like 20 minutes and then get back to doing what I'm doing because it's not as healthy to eat late at night. I mean, I still will have a snack. I'll still have a little something, but I've been trying to just like give myself that time to eat because it really is important to eat slowly. And, you know, I don't need to tell you, I know you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the next question is like, where do you cook most of your food? And then what is it like having to get ready for health inspectors? Okay. Good, good questions. Good questions. So I prepare my food in people's homes. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't actually have like a health inspector that comes into people's homes, Mm -hmm. but I will tell you Mm -hmm. that I am a huge germaphobe. And I think people would rather that a health inspector went in to look at their kitchen Mm -hmm. than me because I'm actually, I've actually been told by clients, like you're a little too concerned with sanitation. And I'm like, you know what? There's never for me, I, I, and clients love that. They love that that is my worst quality is that I'm too concerned with sanitation. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's just like at the end of the day, because you don't work in a restaurant, right? Because there's not certain things in place. You do have to take those extra steps because you are working in someone's kitchen. And, you know, something I've said to people before, um, like even when, you know, like it's the nanny or it's like another person working in the home, like I will see them, you know, touch my station, do things. And I'm like, you know, that's why I have to be extra careful because it's like, there is not specific chefs who have a specific system. It's Mm -hmm. me. And then everybody else who's kind of doing their own thing. So I need to make sure like when I come in, make sure everything is like perfectly wiped down and like everything's ready to go. And I will, you know, sometimes even do another wipe over, but Um, it is really good because a lot of the homes that I work, they do have housekeeping. So it's like, like I clean, but like, I know when I'm coming in, even when I clean at the end of the night, there's like another, like, which happens at a lot of restaurants, right? Like the chefs will clean, but like to go that extra mile, there'll be a house like keeping crew that will come in at night and just make sure everything is super clean to keep sanitation in order. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) so like something that I've admired about like what you do is that the last event that like I went to because you recommended it for me was like when we so um to anyone who's like listening um basically chef Lindsay had an event that had like a service component to it where like she donated to an organization while she was teaching like teens and kids to make like calzones and then also like little apple mocktails and it was really cute like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> so I'm glad you enjoyed it <laughs> yeah of course I enjoyed it um so like how did you come up with keeping that component of like service within your work because it's a choice like you don't have to oh you mean like to donate mm-hmm. like um yeah no I, that's uh so I mean The thing is, is, and I feel like 
from what I've gotten to know about you. I feel like you definitely have this in you as well. It's like, there's certain types of people that they wake up in the morning and it's like, to really have a good day, you think like, am I going to make the day better for somebody else and something that I'm doing? Right. If it's, it could be just through work. It could be at school being nice to that kid. Who's, you know, not a lot of people are talking to. And that's something that my parents really ingrained in me. So like, I'm sometimes hard on myself because I think every day, like, am I doing something to make a difference for the greater good? And I know that's like a lot of pressure for people to put on themselves, but it really is important, even just like the little things, the mm-hmm. little things that you do. So it was really exciting for me when I was talking to Gabby, you know, my friend yeah. who did those classes with me. And we were like, you know what? There's so much craziness going on in the world. Like we have this idea. Why don't we also donate a portion of it to these charities. So it's like at the end of the day, we're not just doing these classes, but we're giving back. And that made us feel really, really good about it. And we just feel like we're making a difference. And I actually, um, something I was going to talk to you about is I am thinking about starting up those classes again next Uh month. So I will definitely let you know, you have a free ticket definitely from me. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds fun. Okay. Now, like I was always wondering, like, Last time I texted you, you told me that you had a, like not a gig, but like you had a job with a celebrity. So now I'm wondering by now, like, what's the biggest job that you've, like, for the, um, yeah. Oh man, that's a good question. Um, so I, oh, my biggest job. So there was a client that I worked for years ago Mm -hmm. and it I honestly like to this day don't know like how many like influential people were coming to their home but they were they were like had a specific job where they would work Mm -hmm. with a lot of celebrities so it's like they might have not been that known of a name but there would be people popping in throughout the weekend that were like different celebrities and some of them like I wouldn't know who they were but like my parents might know who they were right or like I might not know who they were but like my nieces and my nephew might know who they were you know it's just like it's just based on the generation so that was a really really cool experience for me like I worked a weekend for them and I was just kind of like baffled by some of the people that I met Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't say that's like the the event that I'm like the proudest of as it was like the event that I thought was um like the coolest Mm -hmm. but there was this um this program, I'm trying to think of how to describe it years ago. I really, I would say this is to date one of my favorite things that I ever did. It was for one of the first families that I was ever serious with, like private chefing. They were part of this program called Indivisible. And um, I, I doubt you've heard of it. Maybe you have, but it was just basically, um, it was like a political group that was just about like making sure that... Like, I don't want to get, I don't want to get political with this, but just essentially making sure that the president that we had at the time, who might've been a little controversial, (laughs) a lot of people that he wasn't 
doing anything that was harming people too much. And it was just like, it was what I really appreciated about it was it was wealthy people mm-hmm. who really were not going to be impacted at all by any of these governmental things that were going on. If anything, they were benefiting from them and they were kind of like, no, like I want everyone to benefit. Like I want everyone to be okay. So I want to make sure everything that's going on in government is benefiting everyone. And they would like get together and have these meetings and just be like, how can we help? How can we make this better for the people who don't make as much money as we do. And like being a part of that and watching that happen and cooking for that and being the chef for those events was really, really inspiring to me because it did remind me that like, you know, sometimes we have this perception that people who do really well, that like, you know, they get so in their head about money. And I, and I, and I really appreciate seeing that there's a lot of people who don't, there's a lot of people who get money and they are like what can I do with this money to help people and I love that and I love and it, you know it gives us a lot of hope in our society <laughs> yeah, for sure rather than generalizing everything you you look and you find out that not everything I, I love that <laughs> Thank you. so then like more into like the way that you price things so I see like date nights, they could be like 50 bucks. And then you have like 250 to 300 for like the bigger events. And the other ones are like customized. So like, how do you choose to price your, like your service? Um, so a lot of my pricing I need to adjust. So the date night stuff was actually for my virtual stuff that I was doing. Um, so like date night classes, I started off by doing like $50 per person and then like they would supply the food and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Uh, my prices have definitely I've been adjusting them a lot I would say what I've learned as a private chef like and this is going out for anyone who wants to be a private chef if -hmm. you want to put yourself in a better spot instead of giving yourself an hourly rate I think it's better to be like this is my rate for the day I might be here for three hours I might be here for 10 hours but I'm going to make sure that you get what you need. And by doing that, you take off that pressure on yourself and on your client to be like, okay, every hour that goes by, I could be spending more money. And then you think as a chef, like, I know I can get this done in five hours, but now if I get this done in five hours, instead of 10 hours, I'm going to be making a lot less money. And you don't want someone to think that you would do that, that you would ever work longer when you could get something done in a shorter amount of time. So I've realized in order to make sure that everything is fair and everyone feels comfortable, just giving people like a flat daily rate is the safest bet. And I think the best way to go about that. So everyone feels comfortable. So it's like you say, like, for example, um, a lot of private chefs usually charge between 300 to a thousand dollars a day plus the cost of food and by doing that by the range really depends like mm-hmm. it I, I'm, I'm giving like a general idea like with me it really depends on like how much i'll be doing but with that you also have like the food costs as a separate thing so it's like you can cost that out and be like okay your food costs might be for this event. Your food costs might be $200 for this event. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then you could total that and be like, okay, so today my daily services are going to be this amount of money. That's a really good way to do things. What I have actually noticed, and I know when I say this, you might be like, well, that's the life, right? A lot of the times my clients aren't really too concerned about food costs. Like they'll be like, this is what your daily rate is. And then just get us the absolute best quality that you can get. Like we trust you, you know, we know you're going out and you're looking for organic grass-fed beef. We know you're looking for like fish that's farmed responsibly and, you know, fresh off the boat. Like we know you're looking for the absolute best that you can get where you are. I mean, sometimes it's like, you could be in a food desert. I mean, that hasn't really happened to me much, but like you could be in a place when I say food desert, like a place that might not have as much access to like, you right. know, a good fish market and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which a lot of the times like deliveries and things like that are loopholes that you can do with that. But um, yeah, so it really just depends, but I would say, you know, price, price yourself for what you're worth, but also think of experience. Like when I first started out, I was for the same amount of work that I would do now, I would charge less because I knew I was still learning. And I think my clients really appreciated that I wasn't like going in with like, you know, one, two years experience doing this and being like, Hey, like it's a thousand dollars. Like, you know? Um, so I think, I think they really, really did appreciate that. And it helped me build relationships as I was, you know, going through the, Going through. <laughs> like even some people when they reach out to me on LinkedIn or something, they offer a service and it's like free in the beginning so that they can get business later. So exactly. Yeah. I really think that's the best way to do things because it gets people in the door. It gets people to get to see what you have to offer. Um, I think a lot of the time, instead of offering free, offering discounted is good because like there's some people who really have no intention of using your product or your services. And they're just like, well, free, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to turn down free, but if if you tell someone it's 50% off, you know, then they'll be like, oh, okay, well, this is something I'd be interested in. This is something that I'd like to try, but I don't know (laughs) if I want it, but it's less than it would normally be. So maybe you know, it kind of, it gets people in the door for sure. Yeah. And then like, I also wanted to touch up on like obstacles that you face. So first off, do you have like advice for some other person who is, who is dealing with like a difficult client or like someone who's maybe like they're picky or maybe they are very grumpy. Like, what would you do? Like, how do you deal with it? Oh, like a a picky, grumpy client. (laughs) Um, I would say stay strong, you know, follow the whole idea of the customers always right. Even when they're not, you know, cause at the end of the day, it's like, you might have all of the best intentions and all of the best things in mind for what you want for this client. Um, but they might not specifically know what they want. Mm-hmm. If you just say yes, and you do what they want, you will learn a lot through that. Of course, obviously you always need to have boundaries, right? Like you need to be, you need to respect yourself and have boundaries. And I think that's something that I've had to learn at times um, in the process, you know, is that like, I just, I want to make everybody happy, but at the end of the day, like, I know, like you need to be able to be like, okay, well, you know, I, I can't work a seven day week. Like I do need a day off, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's certain things like that that do happen in this industry at times, but, but trying Sometimes if you can work that seven day week in the beginning, but saying this is not going to happen forever, like 
you know, fi- finding balance is ultimately, yeah, is ultimately the best thing for that. And um, I mean, I've had, I've had clients who specifically, like I had a client once who specifically was like, I hate pepper. I don't mm-hmm. want cracked pepper on anything. I don't care if it's even the littlest bit. And I was just starting out in the industry and like his wife wanted pepper and he didn't. So it ended up, they ended up wanting the same thing. I was a little nervous. It wasn't an allergy. Allergy is completely different. I presented it to him. And as I was looking at it and I was holding it in front of him, I was like, oh my gosh, there's cracked pepper on this. And I was going to make him new eggs. But the second he saw it and he saw that pepper, like he was very, very upset. But then he sat down while I was making the new eggs and ate the whole plate of eggs. Yeah. And he's like, this was actually very delicious, Lindsay. Like I liked it a, a lot. And I was like, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like people don't know what they want sometimes. And yeah. it's, but at the end of the day, you still make that new plate of eggs. It doesn't yeah. matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you liked that. It doesn't matter if he doesn't even eat it. Like you still got to go with what they want, especially when you make mistakes, actually, you know what? I remember what happened. He didn't tell me until after I made it that he didn't like cracked pepper. That's really? why I didn't make a mistake. Even it was that he didn't even tell me until it was already yeah. on the plate. And I, and as he was saying that, I was like, well, there is cracked pepper on this, but anyway, that should be my worst problem. <laughs> I would say another challenge too, is to be very, um, on like the note of preferences. There's also something very important, which is food allergies. And yeah. I feel like some people don't want to tell you that they have food allergies. So like that, that communication line, making sure that every client I have, even if it's sometimes a little awkward, like I do always ask, like, is there anything that you're allergic to? Is there anything that you're sensitive to? Is there anything that like your friends might have an allergy to that you could be having over? Like I try in the least in like intrusive way to have these like questions come up and these conversations come up because, you know, you might not have an allergy, but one of your girlfriends might come over, you know, if I was your private chef and she might have a severe peanut allergy and be so used to eating in your home and not having things that have peanuts in it that we could make a dish and she might not realize. So making sure that I communicate with my clients when they have guests and I'm like, well, is there anyone coming for your dinner party tonight who might have any kind of allergies? Do you not know? Would you like me to just avoid putting some common allergens like nuts or dairy or wheat in the meal tonight because you're not sure? So little mm-hmm. things like that are definitely some complicated things that can come up that you just got to be ready for. Mm-hmm. And then like earlier when you think you like need a personality, you need a presence when you walk into a room. Um, it kind of ties into like the next topic a little bit still in, onto obstacles. But before you talked and about this and you gave me advice on like the obstacles where gender plays a role in the world of cooking. And yeah. I was wondering if you could like speak a little bit about on that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really, again, another topic that I could go on with for a really long time, but I will. <laughs> um, I mean, I am five foot nothing, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> this little tiny once blonde girl, I dyed my hair, you know, walking into a restaurant with men who were 5'10 to 6'5 
looking down on me was definitely really intimidating for me. And I, you know, I did have to make sure to have a presence there in order to make my name known, in order to, you know, be able to do more things in the kitchen. And it wasn't easy. Like, you know, it was, there was definitely some sexism. There was definitely some Mm -hmm. things that were just assumed that I couldn't do because I was younger, because I was smaller, because I was a girl, you Mm -hmm. know, and there are, there are chefs that are the same height as me that look a lot like me who I've seen run into the kitchen and they can, they are sharks. Like I am so envious of them sometimes. Like they go in there and they're like, no, 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 you're not doing that. Right. Like, no, no, no. I'm doing this. I'm cooking that you over there move. I'm making this like they are intense and they have that personality while I'm more like, okay, let me help guide your hand there. Oh, really, really great effort. Love that. Love that for you. But you know what? We're going to make it this way. Yeah. And though I can lead a kitchen potentially yeah. like that, I can't work my way up in a kitchen, honestly. Like at least your average uh-huh. restaurant. Like, I don't think you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it just doesn't work. And uh-huh. private chefing has is great because it's just me there's no one that I need to tell them that they're doing anything right or wrong it's just me trying to better myself every single day which is why I really love private chefing but Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 it can be hard too like even applying for certain private chef jobs um you know I think sometimes they might be looking for a man sometimes they might be looking for a woman I will say though because I do like to work for families I have had clients be like we only want to hire a female chef so we are really glad that you are female like we're going to be honest with you like that is another advantage on top of your resume for you applying for this job however there are some jobs where they they want you know, some guy who's been working in the industry for like 20 years, worked at four Michelin star restaurants, Mm -hmm. you know, can cook with his eyes closed, standing on one leg. (laughs) And (laughs) it it, it really just depends. All right. Yeah. (sighs) But thankfully, thankfully they give those options and you're here. (laughs) (laughs) So the next topic of this episode is like, we just want to learn a little bit more about you. So like, how did you meet WIT? Because that's where I met you. Um, WIT is whatever it takes. And it's like a program that um, basically inspires and encourages like teen and tween entrepreneurship um, for anyone who didn't know. So like, how did you meet them and connect with them? Um, so it's actually kind of funny. Uh, so my friend Jameson mm-hmm. is... Um, she, he acts like, I, I don't know if you were, I, I know now I can't go, I can't believe it was almost like three years ago. Um, <laughs> when on the first time that I ever did a cooking class with you guys at WIT, mm-hmm. the leader of WIT was talking about how she met the guy who introduced me to her, which was really funny. They, I think they just met at like a bar and they oh, were wow. like, yeah. And they were talking about like the food industry. He's a chef that I've, you know, met in culinary school, really great guy. And they just like striked up a conversation and he was like, Oh, like my friend Lindsay, 
be like, she loves to do cooking classes. Like she'd be a really good person to do this. And that's kind of how I got into wit. And, um, it was, it was really, it was really fun. And I'm really glad I got to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was excited because that was, um, that one class that you taught us how to make pesto pasta one, like pesto pasta is one of the first, like, pesto like sauces that I've ever made on my own and like that my parents like give me control in the kitchen like I'm the one who makes the sauce and then they're the ones that are like oh so what's next <laughs> so that made me so excited that you were teaching us how to make that and then you also like in on it like you added walnuts and then and you also added like spinach or like other substitutes and I thought that was really cool thank yeah. you yeah no and I remember like you really seem to have a lot of food knowledge and you really stood out a lot during that class. I was like, wow, like maybe I should have her teach a little bit. Like, honestly, you have a lot of food knowledge. You really do. Yeah, I definitely got it from my mom. She's always encouraging me. That's great. Yeah. No, that's, that's really nice. And then like something that I was really curious about, like you have such a good mix of like content on your Instagram. So like, do you hire <laughs> someone? Like, is there a secret behind it? Or are you the one that posts everything? Like nieces, nephews, random like videos of funny videos or like just the dishes that you make that are in the process. Like, how does that all come together? Wow, I have to tell you, I really appreciate you saying that because I feel like my Instagram's a little all over the place. Um, I have tried really hard to come up with some kind of funky theme uh-huh. that might not even be a theme. You know what I mean? It's just like it started off with I when I first got Instagram more than ten years ago. It was you know some things at culinary school, a cake here and there whatever. And then like, as I saw that it was a good advertising platform, I started to post like certain dishes that I've made, some photos of me cooking this, that. But at the end of the day, like I wanted to make a separate account with my life, but I realized I was like, cooking is such a big part of my life. Like I don't want to separate it. So I did start posting like some somewhat cooking related things of me out with my nieces and nephew. Sometimes I do post just like random funny things that I like because like food isn't every single second of my day. Like there are times that, you know, I, you know, I, I watch something funny on TV or I see a joke or something political might come into play that I feel like really needs to be put out there. However, I have something I have been really learning about is like, I definitely want clients who have their head in the right place and their heart in the right place. But when it comes to politics, it is so complex and you might not know why someone has the political choice that they have. So I have really tried to steer away from some of those political topics that can be a little bit more controversial because ultimately I know a majority of the people that see my content are good people who have their heart in the right place and just might have a different view than me. So I want to make sure that I don't single anyone out that way. And that was something that like, I think there was like a point where I was like, you know, I'm going to really throw everything that's important to me on this. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try to like put some fine balance. I'm going to try to find balance with it. That's definitely something I struggle with a little bit with my Instagram. 
No, I really like enjoy looking at your Instagram because it just gives like that look into your life. And it's like more natural. Thank you. Welcoming. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for sharing like all of that. <laughs> but um, going into the next thing, like, I think some people are curious, like as a chef, like, do you follow a specific diet or like, do you actually follow food recommendations? Like this amount of fruit, this amount of grains, this amount, like, do you follow specific guidelines? Um, yes and no. Right. So mm-hmm. I definitely am not one of those people who's, you know, going to fast food restaurants, mm-hmm. eating constant instant meals, never cooking, always going out. I really do try to eat well, but like anybody, like anybody who works long hours, it's not always so easy to cook for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I will try to find some easier things to make or have on hand. Um, I guess to answer your question, the one thing I always follow is I'm an ingredient person in the sense of ingredient quality. So it's like, it's, I might not always be eating, you know, a certain amount of vegetables and fruit and Mm -hmm. protein a day, but I really just try to make sure that I avoid things that are heavy in preservatives, heavy in chemicals that are heavy in salt. I try to make sure that I incorporate at least some, you know, some form of fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. into my day to day. And that like, I manage the amount of like comfort foods that I eat because it is so easy to eat comfort foods, you know, cause they're, they're, they're easy to eat, easy to digest. That's why people go to them. And sometimes when you work a long day, all you want is a burger. And it's like, you got to remind yourself, like also want to nourish, you want to nourish your body as well, even though you also want to nourish your soul. So, <laughs> so you know, it's, I, I would say the main thing I follow, and then I always recommend people to follow is just be conscious and aware of your ingredients that you're consuming, right? Because it's like, there are a lot of chemicals that are approved in food nowadays in the US that are not approved in anywhere else. So it's just really good to do your research. And that's something I've been trying to do. Like, even if there's something that I see on a packaging, you know, for something that I might purchase, like, what is this? Look it up, you know, be knowledgeable on what you're eating with that. And also, you know, going further, I try to shop local where I can. I try to go to farmer's markets and get things that are more local. Cause like a lot of the, there is this whole thing. And to be honest, I don't want to get too into this because I don't know it as well as other chefs do, but there is a science with eating food that's local to where you are and the way that your body digests it. And that like the way that your body needs certain nutrients, it really is good to go local where you can. And it's, it's not just good for your body. It's, it's good for the food system as well. And again, that's something I could go on for. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> and like, there's just something really fun that I saw for one of your like kids cooking classes, I think. And one of the choices was that you had cartoon or artisan cake truffle like classes. What do you mean by cartoon? Or did I read that wrong? Oh, no, no, no. I I love that. So I actually haven't done this class in a while, but I do offer it. Mm -hmm. And years ago, I had um, clients who would ask me to make like cartoon fun cake truffles. So like I would do like pandas with the kids. I would do like 
Pokemon characters. Like I did like Pikachu and yeah. uh, Pokeball. Like that was really fun. Yeah. We actually sold that at an event. Nice. Crazy enough. There was a charity event and like the people that I was selling it with were like, I think you could price these at like $10 a cake ball the way you wow. put so much effort into them and mm-hmm. I was like really like I, I feel like that is like theft and they were like no like they're so well made like they you know and like for these it was um it was a lot of people who were really into Pokemon who were at this event and they were flying off the shelves they sold every single one for that amount I was like it was like if it wasn't for like a charity thing I wouldn't sell anything for that much but I was really yeah. I was really grateful that people thought that I could charge that much for a cake ball. <laughs> They're acknowledging all your skills. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. But the artisan is just, it's just your typical truffle, okay. right? So I usually do like the French style. That's honestly one of my easiest classes. Um, and even mm-hmm. like a, you know, two, two and up could probably do it. It's just where you make like a basic ganache with chocolate and heavy cream, mm-hmm. and then you cool it and then you roll it out and dip it in different things. So it's like a really fun, easy class, something you could have with like some wine if you were older, which I forgot for a second. (laughs) So you can have it with some tea or non-alcoholic wine. (laughs) Well, um, so as we come to like a closing, we did have like a couple more questions, but like how did being in the food industry change you, like your attitude, your personality from where, where you started? Um, it definitely made me more confident. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also made me a more curious person. Mm-hmm. Like I've always been curious, but just, I love doing research on different things that are going on with food. And I love learning about food and I, I love cooking like more than I ever have when I was younger. Like I, my love for it grows every, every single year, you know, as I learn new things about cooking and I just get very excited about it. Um, But I guess like the biggest change in me as a person is that I feel like I'm more goal oriented. Like I have something that I specifically want to do and I just you know, I want to get this done. You know, there might be certain obstacles that come in, that I come across, but like I have a certain goal in mind. I feel like when I was younger, when I was your age, <laughs> before I went to culinary school, like I am so impressed by you. You know, I, I didn't really, I had all these ideas, but I never really went for them. Like it wasn't until I got to culinary school that I'd have a fun idea, right? Like doing cooking classes or making Pokemon cake balls and things like that. And just making it happen. You know, a lot of the times it would be ideas on paper and I'd be too afraid to start. And now a lot of the times, you know, obviously there's always ways to grow with this. It's like, I'll have a fun cooking idea. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Like, this is a fun, fun idea. Like I'm going to go for it. So, you know, I try to do that more and more. And I feel like I learned a lot about myself with that as I, as as I've gotten into the food industry to just try to come up with these fun ideas. Yeah. Just like getting ready. And now you take the initiative and everything. And like, last question is like, would you change anything? Like if you went back in time, classic question, would you change anything? Like, do you have regrets? I mean, my short answer is no, but cause you know, ultimately you have to go through 
every single thing that you go through in life to be where yeah. you are. Yeah. But of course, there's a part of me that wishes that when I was your age, I was more goal oriented, right? That I wasn't having all these ideas and not following mm-hmm. through with them. Because then there's a part of me that's like, I could be a lot you know, you might think I'm really ahead where I am, but I could even be more ahead, you know, like more of my goals could have been met if I started as young as you, you know, so that's something. So I definitely admire that in you a lot. And I think you're going to do great things. Um, and I guess like if I was to change something, it would be that, but ultimately end of the day, like I needed to learn that I, all of those things that have come across from me not being like that uh, to be where I am. So mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I would also say I probably wouldn't change anything either because like you said, everything that has gone on has helped you become you. (laughs) But (laughs) thank you for joining us today. We had such a great talk and all your time, your energy, everything is appreciated by all the watchers, all the listeners, everyone who's here. So thank you and hope everything else goes well, success in the future and so on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Bye. Bye. Thank you again so much for joining us today and listening to what we had to say. Did you connect with anything or find something cool and interesting? Let us know. Even better, if you know someone who might appreciate an episode, Pop would love it if you could share it. With each new episode, my goal is to reach out to all kinds of curious listeners out there and bring light to certain topics and stories that deserve to know they are important, just like you. If you have feedback, questions, or anything to share with Pop, feel free to send your thoughts your way through Instagram, text, email, reviews, and don't forget, the feedback form. Everything counts and is deeply appreciated as pop grows to its fullest potential. Stay curious!